Everybody say hi to Joshua. Hi, Joshua. All right, we are uh, going through the fifth plague today. And uh, let's pray, and then we'll get going. Father, thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that your spirit is doing in us and among us. pray that you continue to, to sanctify us, set us apart, to, to build in us the character of Christ, to continue to um, grow us in not only our faith in Jesus, but our love for one another, our love for all the saints, that these are two pillars of, of growth that we see in the New Testament, that, that, that we trust Jesus more than other things and other people, but and, and also that we, we love the saints, we love the people of God who you're calling yourself and you're building together as a, as a temple for yourself. And so we pray that those things continue to increase in this group. We ask that your spirit be with us this morning, that you give us wisdom and discernment and insight into what you would teach us through um, this passage on the fifth plague. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, recap. What happened last week? We had plagues of flies. There was a song back in the mid-80s, a Christian song. Yeah, so you were... No, 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 it wasn't bullfrogs and butterflies. We were on Exodus 9 this morning. Uh, uh, it was called, it was, like a, it was like, a, like a heavy metal song, and it was like Christian heavy metal kind of thing. It was called Plague of Flies. So we were on a road trip with a, with a, with a, a basketball group or whatever. It was, like, it was like overnight kind of thing. We were coming, we were, it was late night, so we were coming back real late at night, and all of us were like, this thing's awesome, because we lost again. And we're just tired, and <clears throat> our coach, I mean, we're all asleep. Our coach cranks up this song. I mean, starts like it. There's a plague of flies outside my window. This is a whole thing. So the whole last Sunday, when we were going through that song, was going through my head. I was trying to rein it in, but I just thought I'd share it with you. Now that I've told you, it can get out of my head, and we can talk about the next one. <coughs> what happened last week? Plague of flies outside my window. A plague of flies came. Yeah. And then Moses prayed. Yeah. All the flies disappeared. They didn't just die and. And their bodies stay around. They disappeared. There wasn't a fly in the land. Okay. The magicians were unable to do anything about it, and Pharaoh finally admitted that he can't do anything. So he asked Moses to pray to his God. What was his What was his gimmick at this point? Pharaoh was trying to. He's going to let him go. He's going to let him go. But did he? What happened? How, he what was his tactic? Let him go. He said, "You can pray to your God in this land." Oh, yeah. Right. He starts negotiating with this compromised position of. We'll go sacrifice in the land. What was Moses' objection? One, the people of Egypt would not allow the sacrifices to these what they what the Egyptians considered to be their gods. Okay. What was it specifically that Moses said about that? We talked about as as he will command us. Is what he said. Okay. It's not. It's not what God said, number one. Number two was the Egyptians take a dim view of us sacrificing the animals that we would sacrifice. The sacrifices that we would make would be abominable to the, Egypt, to the Egyptians. Egyptians, I'm going to say it right here in a minute. And, and they'd stone us. They'd kill us, which makes you wonder if that was Pharaoh's plan to begin with. What was it about the animals that they were sacrificing 
that would be abominable. <laughs> they believed that, that they were gods. Okay. The bulls, the goats, they were... Their gods had what? Uh, bodies of men and heads of bulls, heads of goats, heads of... Okay. Frogs. Frogs. Keep that in mind. Genesis chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. What does that tell you? This is the first time that the plague is differentiated between the God's people and the Egyptians. Well, last week the flies differentiated. But what was the thing that Pharaoh tried to get them to do last week? Well, last plague. For us last week. Stay and sacrifice in the land. And the objection was? That it was abominable. (laughs) Do you see what's going on? I think this is beautiful. I just think this is beautiful. Okay, let's start from the beginning. You see an if-then clause, one through four. What's demanded yet again? If you refuse, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle and fields. It's very binary, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a let them go, send them out. If you refuse, this is going to happen. It's an if-then clause, uh, right? You have, Absolutely. You, you have a... You have a and there's a loop, apparently, that keeps going until the... Uh, <laughs> but only ten times. But only ten times, that's right. If n equals ten, then we release them and we kill all the firstborn. That's where we're going. What's the stick? The stick is what you would bait the Israelites into doing to do these, what you would consider abominable. I'm going to do it for you. That's the stick. Um... And notice what he says. He says, the God of the Hebrews. And that, that, that idiom, that phrase, referring to God hasn't been used since the first plague, he's reminding Pharaoh, remember me, I'm not just Elohim. I'm not just some general designation. This is the God of the Hebrews doing this to you, the ones that you consider your slaves. Yes? I'm just I'm curious because it says that the livestock of the Hebrews, or, or of, of Israel, I would think that slaves in the land wouldn't own anything. They wouldn't be able to own houses, property, certainly not livestock, that they would just be tending to Pharaoh's livestock. And so I'm, I'm curious if it's if he's actually making a distinction even further, and it actually is Pharaoh's livestock, but it's Pharaoh's livestock in Goshen. Israel in Goshen. In Goshen. That Israel's taking care That's of. a good point. I don't know the answer to that question. I, I think I, that could be. That could be. And, and, you know, and some... 
in Roman culture, slaves were allowed to have property, certain tiers of slaves. Obviously, the guys in the mines didn't, but but you know, if you if you had a slave that that was a, a faithful slave, generational, whatever, they give them property and they worked their way out of slavery that way. Um, I don't know if that's the system here. It doesn't sound like it because you got you know three hundred years and nobody's worked their way out yet. Uh, so, well, <laughs> Moses Moses well, fled. <laughs> well, killing a guy bringing the sand and running is not exactly the best way to, to get out of get out of slavery. Um, so there's a there's a, a reminder of, of of against whom Pharaoh is fighting the God of the Hebrews, and then we have the if then the plague is a necessary consequence to this disobedience and the, and the if you refuse the, the 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 language that's used in the Hebrew assumes he will. It's almost like when you refuse. Didn't even respond. Doesn't record a response. Is that what you're... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just ignoring him at this point. Right. I mean, how goofy is that? Your, your magicians have proved to be completely impotent. And your country is falling down around your ears. This is a serious threat for basically an agrarian culture, right? Uh, what, what kind of a... Well... It's, it's, it's a refusal that is assumed, and he does that. He doesn't respond, um, and it's an outright rejection of God's command. He still holds them. Let them go, but no, he's going to hang on to them, is, is, the, is the idea here. He's hanging on. So in spite of all the plagues and demonstrations of God's power, Pharaoh still holds on and doesn't let them go. Now, step back. We can point to Pharaoh and go, you idiot. Let it go. Stop trying to be God yourself. You've seen God's power. You've seen the demonstrations. Why are you hanging on? Do we do this? Let it go. Don't we hang on to things? That we want to be um, in control of. I, I, I want to be uh, serving you, God, but... You can you can take over this, you can renovate this, you can do this, but no further. Right here. You see in Pharaoh again and again a picture of, of my heart, of, of your heart. We're all born in Adam. This is nothing new. This is nothing strange. It's, it's shown to be more extreme than some of us may, may um, engage in. But without the power of God coming on him and changing this heart, he continues, and it's hardened and hardened and hardened. It's a state of being. Yeah. It shows that irrational nature that, that we have naturally when we're in sin mm. and rebellion, it's the idea of, it's going to be okay because I say it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay, yeah, I know that all those frogs just died and were heaped up in piles, and I know that flies just built the land, and I know that everything God has said has happened. Yeah. And yet there's this irrational nature that just goes along with rebellion and sin to hang on to things and to live in an alternate reality to say that it's just, it, it, this isn't going to happen because I say it's not going to happen. Right. Right. The irrationality of sin is, is, is something that's demonstrated throughout Scripture and very clearly here with Pharaoh. It, it's just, it makes no sense for him to keep going. 
but he does to the bitter end of the destruction of his own nation. Yeah. I'm going to say the same thing as y'all. Is it? I mean, God has clearly showed this pattern. You know that he, he God is in control. He continually does that, and God has proven Himself to be faithful. Mm-hmm. That to keep His word is what He He said. Yet Pharaoh continually, against logic, continues to go his own way. And so I'm saying the same thing. This as y'all. is the fourth audience that Moses has had with Pharaoh. Has he said something? Different since he's plagued, he's beating the same drum. Let him go, let him go, let him go. And doesn't Paul say the same thing on Mars Hill? Uh, in times past, he forbeared, now he commands all men everywhere to repent, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. 2,000 years I've been saying it, sometimes more authentically than others, but it's been there. The drum beat, and yet you see this progression toward a rational response, this hardness of heart that is that is pervasive in, in us, in Adam. Um, Alright, but God talks like this. He, he, he pulls out this phrase, this hand of Yahweh, uh, in, in verse, uh, let me see, in verse, yeah, verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock. The hand of the Lord. That, that, that's a phrase that we're going to see again and again and again. And what he's doing is he's taking a phrase that the Egyptians use for Pharaoh's power. He's co-opting it and showing how empty it is applied to Pharaoh and yet how, how meaningful it is you know, compared, uh, used with God. The hand of Yahweh. It's not just a finger of Elohim. It's his hand. It's his powerful hand. It's obvious power. Um, and it's ironic that it's used by God here. He, he mocks Pharaoh's own claim to sovereignty with by, by co-opting that, that phrase. Okay, the significance of the animals that were struck. Let's first talk about economically. What animals were struck? <gasps> What are, the, what are those kind of animals used for? Somebody stole my marker. Uh, food and transportation. Food, transportation, what else? Sacrifice. Sacrifice, well, yeah. And war. War? Horses for chariots? Friendship. Friendship. <laughs> You're killing me. Friendship. Although we got some, we got a new baby goat this week. He's, he's pretty fuzzy. He's, we call him, he's, they're Spanish goats, and the girls named him Zorro. Isn't that awesome? He's awesome. Poor little thing. He's, he's getting introduced to the herd. They're not really accepting him right now, but it's okay. We'll get there. It's all good. Economically, they provide food. They provide milk, clothing. You've got, you know, the, it's an it's an agrarian culture. These animals that he's targeted are the backbone of the, of the economy. They get hit at this level. That's a big hit. I mean, you've already had, you know, the Nile attacked. You've had um, mosquitoes, uh, flies, frogs. Oh, I stepped on one last night. I did. I did. It was in the garage. It was dark. I was going to get some things. And I was like, I, was, ah! I heard a, ah! and I was like, 
kids leave a toy? I hit it again. It's awful. And it made a sound. No. I had a boot on. A boot. Because otherwise you would have known that wasn't a toy. That's right. It was... I heard this little squeal, and I just kind of went, oh, where are the dogs? Come on, just eat. So, yeah, so we've had these four things, and yes, they're nasty. But I'm just going to tell you, we talked about the frog thing, nasty. It, it did, it was nasty. I didn't know if it was making the noise or if that was just the sound of it exploding. I don't know what that was. Nasty. Anyway, so, so we've had all these things happen. And now there is the, the, the backbone of the economy is being attacked or threatened at this point. Theologically, these animals represent a whole host of gods. There, were, there was a, a prominence of bull cults. Cults. <laughs> Say cults. <laughs> of, of, in, the, in the region where they would sacrifice the bulls uh, or, or, or call them sacred bulls and, and hang on. One cult in particular had a... Um, they would look for a, a black bull. It had to be straight black. And they would worship it. And it was the embodiment of, of, of one of the gods. And so they would... They have all these little uh, um, tombs and, 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 and shrines to these bulls. When they died, they buried them, mummified them, put them in, the, and they treated them just like a person that they would do. They're very much part of their theology, these representations of the various gods. Um, Apis, the Apis bull, uh, was, was, was viewed as probably the most sacred of, of these uh, bulls. Um, and, and he was viewed as a protector of the deceased, especially a pharaoh. So what he's attacking here is also representations of the royal line. They're protectors. They're, they're, in their theology, these are, these are viewed as protectors. Additionally, the bulls were understood uh, to be uh, embodiments of... Um, uh, I think it's Ta, but it could be Pata, maybe Pata, Pata, um, which is a, who is another creator god type. He conceives the world by way of his thought, and then gives life through the magic of his word. He's attacking this idea uh, through these animals, and then Ra, of course, is solar deity. He was probably the preeminent deity of Egypt. Um, was represented by the Minuas bull. Um, or the newest bull, as opposed to the oldest bull, I guess. Um, it's M-N-E-U-I-S is the deal, as opposed to the oldest bull. Anyway, so lots of gods are represented by these animals. Thank you for that chuckle. Appreciate that. Female deities also represented by these gods. Uh, Isis, queen of the gods, bears a cow's head, uh, cow's horns on her head. Um, Hathor, another uh, prominent female deity, is given a, a bovine head for her task of protecting the king. Now, think about that. These are the pictures of the beauty, the, the gods, or these... Honey, <laughs> you've, got, you, you've got Hathor's eyes. You know, <laughs> big old cow eyes. Anyway, so, all right, so you've got, you've got all of these gods that are represented by these various animals, and, and many of them are, are seen as identified with Pharaoh himself, and they can't protect themselves. They're shown to be the impostors that they are. Um, the, the language there, the very severe plague, is that, is that word kabed again, the heaviness. And again, the mockery is there. The, the, the plague will be heavy because Pharaoh's heart is heavy. 
you see that the, the link there that again in the language. Um, um, it seems like every other religion besides Christianity worships in one way or other creation, like even um, religions that are supposed to be Christian, like Mormonism, ends up worshiping people because we become gods. Mm -hmm. It's like we almost want to worship. Like we know just by looking at creation that there is something good about it. So I guess without special revelation, we end up just worshiping you know, what's created, and mm -hmm. the planets and things like that. It's Romans 1, yeah. worshiping the creature rather than the creator, creeping things and things that crawl on the earth. Because it is, it is good stuff that, that God's made and it's worth worshiping, mm -hmm. ultimately it's the creator. And, and isn't that true with anything? That, that God makes good things and it's our use of it that turns it evil. Um, pick, pick, pick just about anything that we're addicted to in our culture that we prize and glorify and glamorize and then distort and turn into something that it's not. It, it becomes a god in and of itself, um, even though created originally, it was good. And in some cases, God said very good. And we turn it and twist it into something evil and not according to what he's commanded. I'm going to step on a couple of toes this morning. Okay. I think that a lot of Christians do this with the nation of Israel. I think we lift up the Old Testament created church, Israel, uh -huh. and we lift them up on this pedestal. And I think our our presidents past have done this. You know, we're going to stand by Israel. We're going to ally with Israel. We're going to do whatever Israel takes, all this kind of stuff. And I think, I think a lot of times people lift Israel up on this pedestal and say, you know, well... You know, the divine parentheses during the church age, well, that's Christians, but then Israel's coming back. You know, we're going to build a temple in Israel. Yeah. And I see that in a similar light with this. Yeah. Is that we're not worshiping God anymore. We're worshiping the nation of Israel, God's yeah. chosen people. Yeah. Well, why not skip the creation and worship the creator? Right. And so I, I mean... Well, and, and I think, and, and you know, we're going to step on toes, let's go ahead and go all the way. I think, I think some people also make certain doctrines a litmus test for fellowship and, 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 uh, and, and whether or not you're even a Christian. Um, some people do that with Reformed theology. But certain the, doctrines are not the Trinity. Certainly. The that Jesus was no, absolutely. Holy man. I mean, there are there are core issues. There, there are certainly core issues. That's true. But there are second and third tier things that I think we, we elevate above and almost take on an arrogance in ourselves that, oh, why don't you see this? You know, and why, why don't you get this? Well, you don't. Anyway, there, there, is a, there is a sense in which even, even in the church, you can have something that is meant to be good, the study of who God is and what he's done, how he's working in his church. And, and compare that to people who may take a different take, uh, I think, free will, sovereignty debate. You know, if you, if you, if you, both sides, those people are other. Well, if we're all in the body of Christ, we're all under Christ, how can we, how can we take that tact on it? Um, anyway, so yes, anything, knowledge, a people group, um, um, uh, you know, one First Baptist Church versus Second Baptist Church 
you know, Church of the Red Carpet versus Church of the Green Carpet, whatever that is going to be, we, we're idol factories, as Calvin said, not to prejudice the sovereignty and free will debate, but, but we're idol factories. We're always looking for things, and it's Romans 1 working out in, in our hearts again and again. All right, I love this phrase in verses 5 through 7, he did this thing. I just think that's so relevant today. He did this thing. It sounds like a Nike commercial waiting to happen. Um, Again, God shows his power. How? By making a distinction between what he did to Egypt and what he does in Goshen. He sets them apart. He redeems them again. That that same idea, the setting apart. Um, And he sets the timing. Remember that one episode where Moses says to Pharaoh, Pick the time. Glorify yourself over me, he says. When, when do you want this to happen? Because it will happen whenever I ask God for it to happen. And, but, but God sets the timing here. Again, this is the second time he's done it. Tomorrow. All of this, again, miraculous. How does this happen in a day? Usually these things are progressive. The disease center is going to say it's progressive. We can try to cut it off by just quarantining some cities. No. Whole land. One day. Um, the next day, it says, all the livestock died or did they look at verses 19 through 21 now therefore send get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them plague seven it's going to hit livestock but i thought in plague five all the livestock died. How do we make sense of this? The Egyptians stole the other livestock. The Egyptians stole the other livestock from Goshen? Okay. What are some other possibilities? There's no other possibility that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't actually say that the plague is going to kill all of the Egyptians' livestock. It just says none of the Israelites' livestock is going to die. It could mean all types. Verse 6, all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Oh, okay. That's where I'm having trouble. Yeah. Because it says all. Yep. Does all mean all or does it not mean all? Did you hear what Tammy said? Uh, Say it again. Tammy says... All types. Well, that's interesting. Well, in other places in Scripture, it can mean that. Yeah. Like in Romans. Like in Romans. Very interesting. Okay. Sure. Here's a cross reference to verse 19. Okay, there you go. My, my, my point in bringing this out is that when we're reading through Scripture, uh, there's a tendency of the hypercritics like, uh, like uh, Bart Ehrman and others to take these kinds of things, these seeming inconsistencies, and hammer on them. Can't be true, can't be true. See, it says all, and then you have them in here. Can't be true. It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. Well, you wouldn't do that with any other author. You assume that they're actually going to be consistent with what they say. You give them the benefit of the doubt and try to reconcile it, right? And that's what we're doing here. Within the same chapter, you have a seeming contradiction if you take all means 
Every single one. And then you have a problem when you get to verse 19. We don't do that in normal talk. Are you using the English translation to try to find a Well, I think even in Hebrew you can make that, you can draw that conclusion if you, if you want to be hypercritical. Maybe. And that's only, it's kind of silly to do that just like a few verses later where you could probably get like a, con- try to find a contradiction from Genesis or something like Revelation. Right. Oh, was it even that? But it doesn't even contradict there. Yeah. I yeah. find it interesting, the, the language, because um, I don't know, I wish I knew the Hebrew and I wish I had the reference and we could go and investigate, but I don't. But um, uh, on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. So it could have been written, so the Lord did this thing on the next day, and of the uh, livestock of Egypt, not one lived. Right. Right, it could be, but it wasn't. It could have been written that way, but it, it seemed very specific that not a single one died. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Lindsay. I was just really confused. Is it said that all of the animals from Egypt died? Mm-hmm. The Israelites, they all lived. Right. Now, down here for the seventh plague, God's talking to Moses, telling him to gather all their livestock and take the safety. So... I'm kind of confused about the debate right here because all the livestock that they have are still alive, the Egyptians are not. So that's why I was a little confused about this contradiction you're talking about. Is he talking to um, is he talking to the Egyptians in 19? No, I was talking to Moses, correct? Well, he's talking to Moses to tell Pharaoh. Okay. And he's talking, because in verse 15 says, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, which will be a very great discussion at Plague 7, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. He's talking to Pharaoh and then he says, save it or the hell's going to hit it. Okay, I was confused. I thought he was just talking straight to us. But I think I do agree with Ty then because I think that's a pretty good... Well, that's a good... I like his... There's another aspect of this too. It could just be hyperbole. All the men from Judea were following him. Really? All of them? They're the ones that said crucify him later, right? All of them. The Pharisees? The Sadducees? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. These are the guys who are following him? All of them? All of them that died, died. Further down, it said, the second half of 20, it said, Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into his houses. Mm-hmm. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Yeah. So it's clearly uh, Pharaoh's livestock. Okay. So there's 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 a distinction made, uh, I think here, I, and I think it's types. I think my my I trend toward what you were saying that it's types, all the types of livestock that were mentioned, dying. But it could be either. I mean, they could have taken them from the helpless slaves. They could have. And they could have. But the point is. There, we've come up with at least three different interpretations, three different ways to make it consistent, and the the atheist who is kabed will will find that one line and make it hypercritical. It can't be true. It can't be true. It can't be true. <laughs> All right. Um, either way. 
uh, either way, we, we find that, that we can interpret the text so as not to hold a contradiction. Uh, what does Pharaoh do in response to this? Verse 7, what does he do? He didn't have any horses to ride. I mean, it was. Uh, <laughs> Wait, was it a goat? Maybe. <laughs> Somewhere. I don't know if it's. I don't know how far Goshen was from the palace, but um, he sends out. He sends. The literally sends out. We we supply messengers or or emissaries to see that not one from Israel died. Notice the paradox here. Pharaoh sends to investigate messenger. He sends out messengers to investigate Goshen. But obviously, he didn't have to investigate that the livestock died of Egypt, right? Because he could just see that. That that's kind of implied. That that's, that's obvious. He wants to test and see what what's really causing this. Is there really a distinction made between Egyptian? Livestock and the livestock in Goshen. He sends out messengers to investigate Goshen, but he refuses to send the people out of God from Goshen. Notice the distinction made there. Why is this? It's because the state of his heart, the state of being of his heart, is hardened. And he tests what's the reason. Is it really this God of the Hebrews, or is this just, you know, a natural. Calamity that could happen to any nation. We're just going through some tough times. We'll bounce back. We're Egyptians. We we always come back, right? Um, isn't that how we generally view natural calamities, though? Just some just freak of happened, yeah. some freak of Mother Nature and random. I've always thought that was interesting. Whenever the plane goes down and crashes, kills 200 people, where was God? I mean, let all those people die. Where's God in every plane that made it back and forth? You're thanking him for that. You're not supposed to fly. It's unnatural. Anyway, there, generally we view these natural calamities. That's a good point. The, the idea that these natural calamities, though, are random is, is not a biblical idea. Uh, every, everything that happens is, happens under the sovereign hand of God. Um, I, think of, um, I think of 
you know, Sandy, Hurricane Sandy, the recent thing. Um, this is These are not freak random things. Does God blink and suddenly a hurricane happens? I mean, he, he's either in control or he's not. So what's the point of this? What's the purpose of this? Um, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they go to Goshen, they, they want to see, okay, is this just random or is this something that's purposeful or is this something that's really happening to us by a deity, by God? Um, it, and God leaves no room for any other explanation than it's, it's the God of the Hebrews doing it. Um, there's a similar situation, Luke 13. Let's just uh, turn there real quick. Luke 13, uh, 1 through 5. I know it's getting late, so I want to do this quickly. Some people came to Jesus with a similar idea. Uh, and, and told him about a massacre that, that, that Pilate had inflicted upon some people in Galilee. And, and they expected him to say, well, you know, the people that, desi- that died deserve that. The people that didn't, didn't deserve to die, right? That would be the typical, um, the typical idea at the time. But he says something quite different. Look, look at uh, verse, thir- uh, verse 1 in chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying that everybody deserves to die. We're all in Adam. And unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. So each of these um, calamities, like the one that Pharaoh is investigating, are not random things. They're to remind us, to be a constant picture before us. There's an eternal calamity coming. There's a judgment coming. And either you repent, or you will likewise perish. Jesus talks about a very God-oriented view of reality. This is what's happening. Um, Right. And so we don't know at what point which Egyptians are seeing, wow, the God of the Hebrews is a real God. Right. We don't know if it, which plague, which ones are coming, but we know that there's a group of Egyptians that go with them, and their hearts are not hardened. Their hearts hurt. And so, in a sense, the the Egyptians who leave for them that that, that are softened and leave with the with the Hebrews later. In a sense, these calamities are mercy. I mean, didn't we just read in, 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 verses, in verse 15 in chapter 9, I could have stretched out my hand and wiped you all out and cut you off from the face of the earth, but I haven't. These are a mercy. So when I see a Hurricane Sandy or Katrina or some kind of tornado ripping through the latest trailer park or, or something like that, I need to know this. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And unless I repent, I will likewise perish. 
These are, these are signs of God's judgment, but they're mercies reminding us that we are in a perilous place without Christ. Go ahead. I was talking with somebody the other day about uh, emotions and kind of what gets us worked up and makes us cry and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And bad stuff happening, it really doesn't work on me. It really doesn't, um, my heart really doesn't pour out to the troubles of the world or the, I mean, troubles of people that are, are near to me, of course. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that really gets to me is when people react well, when they do like, a father loving his kids and abundantly not, you know, punishing them or whatever, but he he abundantly and over the top loves his kids or his wife. Or uh, when somebody writes on a wall when their house is destroyed, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. That's the, that's the stuff that is more of a miracle to me, is, is more heart-wrenching. You know? And, and, and just to kind of uh, bring this back to the to the to the calamity issue um, the the thing that we see with these calamities is that if you're breathing and you're seeing them and you're seeing the aftermath of it there's still time to repent it's a mercy it's a hard mercy no doubt but it's still a mercy um, and these things are just a shadow of the judgment, the ultimate judgment that's coming, and so, you know, I'm just I'm trying to to bring out a point here that when we have friends who are railing against, why didn't God stop this hurricane, or why didn't He stop this plane crash? I think this is a good way to go and launch into the gospel with these kinds of events that happen. Do you realize the fact that you're still breathing is a mercy of God, and you could have been in that storm, or you could have been on that plane? Repent now, kiss the sun, while there's time, or you'll perish. We should remind ourselves what we've been saved from, what our unbelieving friends face, and what mercy there is in Christ, that there is in any way, that there is any way at all to be at peace with God. So we, we strive to trust in Jesus, love his people, while there is still time. But if we hold on to the things that are idols, we perish. Any any comments? We're running long. Sorry. What did you say? Gollum. We've watched The Lord of the Rings how many millions times now with my kids, and they that the last scene. Holding on to the ring as he's falling into the lava, and even while he's burning, he's like ring. It's what we do. It's a very good picture. Sorry to rent it for you. Sorry to rent it for you, but the ring does get destroyed. Okay, let's see. <laughs> let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your mercy, your kindness to us that draws us and brings us to repentance. And we pray that we grow in repentance and faith in Christ, that we turn from our sin, that we love Jesus more than anything and more than anyone. It's easier said than done. We're drawn by so many things, so many shiny objects. Give us focus. Give us a heart for Christ that, that um, is rivaled by nothing on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a verse to think about real quick before you go. Isaiah 45, 7. 
I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Think about that as you go to sleep. Just, just thought I'd throw that out there.